His boats were full of, of the amazing catch to follow him. And then the very first thing that happens after that is a man who is covered with leprosy comes to be healed. And Jesus heals him. And, and one who had before been untouchable and outcast is now drawn back fully into the community. This will be a theme that continues. And then he is teaching in a home and, and a paralyzed man is dropped in through the roof to get to Jesus because so many people were around him, and, but they desperately sought his healing, knowing he could help. Soon after that, Jesus picks up another disciple named Levi. Levi was a lowly, crooked tax collector. But Levi invites Jesus and the disciples over to his house. And the good religious folks see this and, and they're concerned. And they point out that this guy is hanging out with sinners. That too will be a theme that continues. And then Jesus' piety is questioned because he heals a man on the Sabbath. His, his disciples are ridiculed because they're not as pious as, well, folks thought they should be. Now, as the word is getting out, that Jesus has these powers to heal and to change lives. People from all over in the four areas around where they stand in this moment to come to receive that power of healing. And to read Luke, Jesus was not, not only was he not overwhelmed by this, but he was more than capable, had enough power to meet the moment and meet the needs that came to him. It's as if Jesus has some kind of supernatural spirit lightning rod part of him that is able to heal those around him. It's an amazing thing to hear. I mean, imagine if you were to draw a depiction of Luke 6, 19, and all the crowds are trying to touch him, for power came from him and healed all of them. That would be quite the image. Now, maybe it's the case that Jesus steps away to, to talk to his disciples, but Luke doesn't say so. Instead, it, it is as if Jesus is standing there with these crowds pressing in upon him, reaching out their hands to touch him, and, and he simply turns to talk while this is going on, inviting them to see and to understand what's happening right there in front of them. He points out that the poor are blessed, that the hungry are blessed. That those who are weeping and grieving, perhaps right in that moment, were blessed. But then the tone of the sermon changes, and after this litany of blessedness, he offers lists of woes and sufferings and curses. He talks about trouble of the, ahead for those who think they have it made. He warns those who are satisfied with themselves and offers warning about seeking approval of this world instead of God's kingdom. But what do we make of this passage? How do we make meaning of it in our own place and time? And who is Jesus speaking to here? With which list, we might ask? Because Jesus is now speaking to the disciples, is that the object of his words here? Is he, be affirming of some, is he being affirming of some and, and maybe less affirming or critical of others? Who are the blessed among them? Are there already those who are cursed among them? Blessedness is a declaration of, of holiness and goodness in a person. Woefulness is a declaration of evil and injustice in a person. So who is the object of his focus here? 
So maybe it helps to imagine yourself among the disciples in this moment, listening to Jesus while all this is happening to him, radiating this healing and power. And I would want to ask, well, am I blessed or am I cursed here? Is Jesus saying that I have a place or not in God's kingdom based on this list here? I, could, I, I want to rationalize if I put myself here. I say, well, I have wept recently and I've known sadness. I, I have compassion. I've been disliked for my beliefs and my choices and my decisions. I know what that's like. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm blessed because I passed the test. But then I keep thinking and I say, well, I'm not poor. I haven't missed a meal lately. And even if I think I passed the test, does that mean I've failed it altogether? Does it mean I'm cursed or am I part of this kingdom? I really want to throw my hands up and ask Jesus, I need you to clarify. I need to know. The stakes are high. What part of this is intended for me and what part of this is intended for someone else? I want to get this right because, well, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about being a part of God's kingdom in the here and the now and and then the future and eternity. And so where am I in this Jesus? Answer. Now Jesus often confronted folks who thought that way, who thought along these lines, asked questions that sounded very similar to that. And each time that Jesus is approached with that kind of thought process, he, he reveals the fault of it. Some came to him believing because they're wealthy and generous, because they hadn't broken the rules, because they were not living evil lives or fast or hard living, they felt, well, I, I've accomplished what I need to accomplish, and I must be part of God's kingdom now. Jesus confronted this way of thinking. He confounded them for those who thought about some heavenly membership checklist, if you will. Do I give? Check. Do I fast? Check. Do I, do I attend church on Sundays? Check. Do I observe the Sabbath? Check. Am I stealing? No. Check. Yes, I'm in. Looks like I'm in. All good. I passed the test. And then Jesus, in that way of thinking, says, yes, that's all great, but there's more. There's, there's more from this. There's more to this. There's more I need from you than just those things. And that's confounding. Read the story of Nicodemus and read the story of the rich young man who comes to Jesus and you'll see the very same thing unfolding. And we too, in hearing these blessings and woes, these beatitudes as they're called, we can think along these lines and try to sort out, well, where am I? How, how am I included or excluded here, God? But it really is an odd thing to do, to think that way and to read it that way. In fact, I believe it gets a little bit weird, actually. Think about it this way. Per the Beatitudes, a blessed church or a blessed person would have to be poor, sad, persecuted, and hungry. A cursed person, a cursed church, well, they would be wealthy and happy, well-respected. But that doesn't make sense, really, does it? And in fact, I would think that's a rather harmful way to, to think things through. I mean, there would be no incentive to feed those who are hungry to remove the blessing. And we would always need to feel guilty when something good came our way. But I don't think that's what God wants for us. I don't think that's what Jesus intends in the Beatitudes. So I want to propose that we treat them a little differently than that. And I, and I believe if we, if we do, we might find a real, a real message of hope and redemption here, 
a message of what it means to follow Christ here. You see, these blessings and woes, they are indeed intended to help us to understand what it means to belong or not belong to God's kingdom. But as often is the case, context matters. Remember where Jesus is. Remember what he is doing. Remember what surrounds him. Folks reaching out to touch him, desperately seeking his healing. And out of that, above that, he speaks these words. So if we imagine that, we have to look directly upon Christ and those who come to him for help. And what we see are those in the world who have rarely been blessed. He offers an opportunity for us to see them in a whole different way now. In short, I believe this is a vision of the kingdom that's coming. Jesus is pouring himself out upon people who are not normally blessed in this world, often looked down upon. He's showing us that he is available, fully available to everyone that can be typically ignored. And this is a vision of Jesus throwing out love and healing and mercy to everyone who will receive it as if they're, limited, they're of limited supply because they are with God. We can limit them at times, but God doesn't. This is a scene of also the possibilities of the ramifications of what will happen if we follow Jesus. These words remind us that when we follow Jesus, we may find ourselves poor. We may find ourselves hungry. We may find ourselves humbled or hated because of that. And when we find that we are following Jesus, we may find ourselves at odds with the world and its ways. We may find ourselves at odds even with those who love us. When we follow Christ, sometimes we're going to be tempted to find security in the world and comforts. But when it gets the hardest, when that becomes the truth, today's story reminds us that God is still with us. God is still calling us. And that that is sufficient for us. So imagine again, Jesus standing among us today. And he is going to share these beatitudes. And I, and I thought about, well, what would it sound like? What would he see that he would want us to see in our own time and place? So I began to write down my own blessings as I thought about that. And I hear these things, I heard these things coming forward. Blessed are those who feel like hard times are coming at them from every direction. Blessed are those who are keeping it together on the outside, but are, are a mess on the inside. Blessed are those who live with cancer or sickness or grief. Blessed are those who must choose between childcare and work. Blessed are those who believe in God but have a hard time believing the church. Blessed are the children that bounce around and have a hard time focusing. Blessed is the child who puts his head on his desk to take a nap at school. Blessed is the parent who loses their cool in a public space for everybody to see. Blessed are those who hold up signs at street corners. Blessed are those who put their life on hold for others. Blessed are those we disagree with on just about everything. Blessed are the small churches. Blessed are the big churches. 
Blessed are the burnout. My list is a lot longer. (laughs) But as I began to ponder what the Beatitudes might sound like, things began to become a little clearer for me. And one thing that becomes clear to me is that redemption lies beyond our failures. There is peace beyond our struggles. And there is even life beyond death. We are often often limited in our ability to see others, to see ourselves even, beyond our mistakes, beyond our circumstances, beyond our struggles. And if we're not careful, we can reduce people to those realities. Hence, today's message becomes very important. It helps us to see something different in every person beyond those things. We are all imperfect, broken, shimmering lights of glory to God. Every one of us, all those around Jesus in this story. And whether we can see it or not, we are all children of the living God. And that is our first, that is our foremost, and that is our forever promise. We are blessed when we see this. It's woeful when we don't see this. And as Jesus so often does, he begins to tear down the barriers that keep us from seeing what God sees in humanity. And when these barriers begin to drop for us, everything we see, how we understand the world begins to change too. We change. Something of the kingdom steps in. This happens when we pay attention to those who would tell us that they are lost, they are shunned, they are excluded. And when we see them, maybe for the first time, what we can do is stand in the gap as Jesus does and let them know that we and God value them more than they can ever imagine. It can happen that we can better examine our own lives and our own ways in our world. And sometimes we see that we profit off the backs of those who suffer. And when we see that, we can find more just means to live together. So no, I do not believe that Jesus' message today is intended to lift some of us up and to tear some of us down. I believe this is a message for all of us. To be lifted up, to, to raise our heads up, to open our eyes up and see what is right in front of us. And I think what Christ wants us to see is that even while people are touching his power of loving and healing, even as he is approached by those who are desperately in need of his healing, That same power can radiate through you and me. So, Lord, as we leave this place today, as we go into this world, all who desperately need you, for those in this place today who know they desperately need you, God, may the radiate love and mercy of your power flow through us all, through this church, among us, binding us together. And it's in Christ's holy and loving name that we pray. Amen. I invite all of you that are able to stand and join in singing our hymn of discipleship. It can be found in your red hymnal on page 467, Trust and Obey.